Hello and welcome to the Test Tube Podcast. I am your host, Dan. Hey yo, my name is Eric. We are representing X39 Gem, the biggest synthetic biology competition in the world. We are here to interview fantastic researchers and demystify the world of synthetic biology. Let's get right into it. Woohoo! Welcome to Test Tube Podcast. Normally we begin our podcast by answering some of your questions or comments that you'd placed before, or looking at the corrections you've made to our facts. But this week we're just going to get right into it with our lovely guests who are also part of iGEM Exeter. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm uh, Ollie. I'm part of iGEM Exeter this year. Hi, I'm Lucy. Obviously all part of the same team. Looking forward to answering some questions with our fabulous hosts today. <laughs> yes, well, thank you both for, for joining us on this. So now that we've all introduced ourselves, would you guys like to start off with an introduction to what iGEM is and talk about it as a whole? Yeah, of course. So iGEM stands for International Genetically Engineered Machine. Uh, it's an international competition where universities around the world all decide on a Symbio research project, Symbio being short for synthetic biology. And these teams work on this over summer or potentially over a couple summers, depending on how much time. And then we all gather at a given place this year in Paris for the giant jamboree where we'll all present our ideas. Brilliant. So what is synthetic biology exactly and how are you competing? So the basis of Symbio is really to use biological processes for some kind of benefit, really. And it could be industrial, agricultural, economic, but you're altering the genome of a given organism or using a process that occurs naturally for some kind of benefit for humans. Would you like to introduce what you're doing for your project? Yeah, of course. This year our team's working on synthesizing simplified spider silk proteins in E. coli, which is a type of bacteria. And these bacteria will then precipitate out these proteins to generate macroscopic fibers. And we will then coat or treat these fibers with a material called graphene to generate composite fibers and films of silk and graphene. These composites will hopefully display a variety of useful properties, including high tensile strength, elasticity, biocompatibility, and we're also aiming for quite high conductivity as well. So this biomaterial that we're generating will lend itself to applications from bioelectronics to synthetic nerves and hopefully tendons as well. Damn, I mean, let's let's try and break that down because that is one hell of a project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so first of all, it might be really useful because obviously we're, we're, you know, we're looking at E. coli for expressing silk. What is E. coli? So E. coli is shortened from Escherichia coli and it's just a type of bacteria. More generally, bacteria are just single-celled prokaryotic organisms. They're one section on the three-domain tree of life, separate from archaea and eukarya. Oh, bacteria, is that safe? Safety-wise, I always find it quite interesting to speak to non-scientists about it, like such as my parents, because obviously we work with E. coli a lot, a lot of the times in the lab, and mostly people hear it in the context of food poisoning. But in actuality, most strains are non-virulent um, and safe to humans. Um, some of them even live in our intestine. The strain of E. coli that we work with, which is Rosetta, more generally, they also use DH5, are all non-pathogenic. So why are you using E. coli? 
coli's genome is very well studied so it means that there's lots of tools available to kind of manipulate it in the best way and the most accurate way it's also pretty easy to grow and replicate which is really useful if you're doing loads of stuff in a lab you want to get things done quickly and have the results be as predictable as possible oh, so it's used quite often in a the lab then yeah, it has a really well-studied genome, so it's one of the most common tools for kind of genetic engineering projects. Okay, so it's like well-understood enough that if you're playing with it, you know what's going on. Exactly, exactly. There's lots of other research that can support what we're doing, whereas if we were using a less well-studied organism, it would be a lot harder to kind of try and work out why things have gone right or why they may have gone wrong. Okay. Speaking of what you're studying, obviously you're messing with E. coli's genetics. It might be useful to understand how you're doing that, because obviously there's, there's DNA, but it might be useful to explain more how that works in terms of your project. So, of course, every organism has DNA. It's just the general code that codes for certain proteins being made. And in this DNA, there are genes which code for specific types of proteins. So, in essence, we're going to take genes that make the spider silk that we would like, which is spider-join and so we're going to take genes for ma the MASP proteins, there's MASP1 and MASP2 in spideroin from the spider's genome, and we're going to transform these into the E. coli plasmid DNA. Which, what's a plasmid? What's plasmid DNA? Are there different types of DNA? It's essentially just, when you think of normal DNA, right, you might think of a helical, long, string-like structure. Essentially, you can think of a plasmid as it's, it's more like a ring and it's much more commonly used in genetic engineering because it's much easier to insert it into other smaller organisms. So in simple terms, it's essentially just a circular form of DNA. Okay, so it's the easiest way to give an organism DNA. In some situations, yeah. So it's, it's quite easy to modify what you have on the plasmid so it can be quite an enclosed genomic system that you can import. So instead of trying to insert really long, complex sequences, you could say try to just insert one gene. So for example, in our situation, we might have plasmid for just one of the mass protein. We would just insert that as it is. And then the bacteria itself can then incorporate that into its own genome. So it can then start synthesizing the silk proteins for us. Ah, so that seems to be the basis of synthetic biology is you're taking DNA from one organism, putting it in another using a plasmid, almost like carrying cargo on a truck. Your plasmid is what's driving it along, and your cargo is your DNA. And once it's arrived to the place it's meant to, you've got its special instructions of what to do. So it's like delivering an instruction manual. Exactly, yeah. It, the plasmid is basically just the instruction manual for what the E. coli is then going to do. And okay. it's a relatively easy way of kind of modifying that as well. So. One of our problems was the mass protein was quite long, so we were able to find some ways to shorten it down to make it easier for the E. coli to incorporate that. So the length of DNA matters. Does anything else matter with plasmids? Does it need to be in any set form, or can you just kind of shove whatever you want in there? Um, you unfortunately can't shove whatever you want. Um, <laughs> one thing actually matters, so DNA is, is made up of four separate components, right, which we genuinely refer to as A, T, C and G. Um, these are just essentially the building blocks of DNA, so these are, are separate sections of the DNA, and the order of this depends what protein it will synthesize. And generally, they're kind of in equal ratio, so roughly 25% of each of the four building blocks. And one of the things that we had to work around was actually with our proteins, and it's sometimes a situation with other proteins, there's a much bigger bias for the G and C building blocks. So we've had to work, way, work ways around of 
dealing with that. So that sometimes can be an issue with it can't just kind of be whatever it wants. A lot of the time organisms like working with what they're used to. So you have to keep that in mind when you're designing a plasmid. It has to kind of suit what the bacteria wants. The order of your your four components, that changes how the instructions are told, what they're told to do. And you have to make sure the instructions that you give to E. coli or whatever you're using has to be instructions that E. coli can carry out easy enough. So if you had way too much T or G, your E. coli would really struggle to follow the instructions. Exactly, because it's not used to it. So it has the, essentially the machinery itself for dealing with what it's used to, which is normally roughly equal ratios of each. So if you're inserting a, a plasmid, that kind of design manual for what it's going to produce, if that's drastically different to what it's used to, it can struggle with that. So sometimes you have to consider ways of modifying these regions that would still encode for the same protein. Okay, it's a bit like if you if you had those ratios wrong when you gave it to them, it's a bit like asking the average person to compete in the Olympics in swimming. They don't have the right fuel to do it, whereas you get yourself an Olympian and they can do that. Exactly. Brilliant, exactly. brilliant. So when you insert your plasmid with whatever genes that you have into your E. coli, how are you ensuring that it doesn't go out into the environment and affect other organisms? Okay, so with genetic modifications, there are kind of strict procedures we need to follow in the labs. So obviously the way we work with it is very confined, but one of the interesting things with our lab is it's a negative pressure lab, so it stops anything getting out of the lab and also E. coli can struggle to survive in environments that it's not used to as well. So, do you have anything to add? There are lots of procedures, as Ollie said, um, that ensure safety for everyone, even down to, you know, using laminar flow hoods, which are just these compartments which maintain sterile environments. So, another question we had, which I think is super interesting to look at, is this super material graphene which as a team we all decide to work with. So we've got the, the E. coli which is making our silk, but then graphene. Tell us some more about it. Okay, so graphene is actually really exciting. It's received kind of a lot of media attention over the, the past years. Most people even from a non-scientific background have heard of graphene. And it's actually relatively simple. It's basically just made up of two different atoms. So you can think of it as like a, a single 2D layer of carbon atoms that are tightly bound in a hexagonal lattice. It almost looks like um, honeycomb or like chicken wire if you've seen that. So it's this kind of this sheet one like 2D layer of carbon atoms and it has incredible properties. So there's been loads of evidence like proving that it has really high thermal conductivity, high electrical conductivity, elasticity and flexibility. And to put into perspective, this material is one million times thinner than the diameter of a single human hair, right? And despite this, it's still 200 times stronger than steel. Okay, so it's got a hell of a lot of uses. Yeah, there's lots of research at the moment ranging from adapting the like superconductive properties of it to looking at how it can work in like biosensors. Like, it, there's so much potential for graphene that we haven't even unlocked yet. So you've discussed some of the properties of graphene. Which one of them is most useful for the project? So we're focusing on graphene for its conductivity. So there has been multiple papers published before about how spider silk and graphene can adhere to each other quite well and they form quite strong bonds. So this allows us to enhance certain properties of silk. It is naturally already quite conductive, but with graphene it can enhance this, it can enhance its tensile strength properties as well. And those properties are vastly useful for lots of different applications. So you're making a silk graphene composite that uh, shows to be really conductive. 
Um, and what can you use that for in your project to help humanity? Okay, so yeah, conductivity is one of the amazing properties of silk, but silk graphene composites are also going to have excellent biocompatibility as well as the potential to be strong and lightweight. So all of these properties combined will enable quite a broad field of application. But one of the major issues of working with this is the scarcity of silk and kind of there's a lot of issues around uh, obtaining it, specifically um, farming. So us synthesizing this silk um, using bacteria reduces some of the biosafety and ethical concerns around this farming, um, giving us the potential to increase the availability of this material. So our composite should enable us to work towards improving synthetic nerves, artificial tendons and other bionics with all of these properties put together. In theory, we could generate um, longer, really lightweight, strong tendons that could be used in obviously medical applications or we could use the conductivity side to try and push nerve stuff. There's lots of, obviously this all sounds very sci-fi and it's all kind of quite a new field. We definitely, there's a lot, a lot of work forward to go with, with silk and graphene. But there's there's so much potential with it. One of the things we've even talked about, which we're not pursuing with this project, but further research definitely could, is Lucy mentioned earlier that we're using these two proteins called MASP1 and MASP2. And essentially, these host two major properties that are really important for silk. One of them really pushes um, flexibility, one really pushes strength. So one of the things we talked about with our um, principal investigator early on was the potential to produce muscle-like fibres. If you alternate these sequences, you can have areas that have high elasticity areas that are really strong and then this would which is quite similar to how a muscle works so there's quite a broad application we're kind of focusing on on the bionics of it but it it can definitely reduce some of the ethical issues around farming as well which Lucy would you like to touch on that now? Yeah so as you said um, there's also ethical concerns as well as the therapeutic side so specifically with spiders there are lots of ethical concerns with the how they're kept um, so obviously it's not a nice thought to have lots of spiders or worms kind of kept in a farm and they're not always going to be kept in the nicest conditions and there are definitely particular issues with using spiders such as species jumping diseases and pathogens which makes these things really difficult to scale up so the yield that you get from such farms are always quite low so the kind of risk reward of that is is very low um, and it's a pity because as we've discussed before silk is one of their materials which would be so useful to be more widely implemented um, it's also very environmentally friendly you can recycle it very easily but a lot easier than a lot of other kind of plastics that are currently being used so in terms of that side of humanity it's also very beneficial yeah the design aspect of it as well also improves the material side of it as well because as opposed to using the the natural silk which your set of the properties that the species gives it you can when designing these these plasmid like dna that we explained earlier you can really specialize in on different functions that you want so obviously for our project we're leaning towards one thing but the kind of the nature of designing these stays the same so obviously there's such a broad application for all of these different properties so you can really focus in your silk when you're designing it to be really specific for those properties which is just another amazing benefit of using synthetic silk instead of natural silk. So iGEM sounds like a fantastic way to allow these almost sci-fi-esque ideas to flourish and as we mentioned earlier all the members of this conversation right now are part of iGEM and all of us have joined for our specific reasons. I think it would be useful for all of us to discuss what we are enjoying about iGEM, about the project and why we think iGEM is 
a good way to spend a summer. Yeah, so I guess everybody here is like taking parts, different parts of the project. Like I'm here doing most of the wiki building and some of the graphic design. Uh, occasionally jump in on some social media aspects, and for, I mean we're all here doing the podcast now. Um, but yeah, you definitely learn new skills along the way. Like I've never touched, like well, I've touched the computer, but I've never touched coding before. I've never done JavaScript, HTML, CSS, but you learn it quite fast. There's a lot of uh, YouTube videos you watch. There's a lot of uh, messaging other teams and seeing if they can help. And that, that goes with everything. That goes with uh, DNA sequencing, if you need modeling um, and stuff like that. You, that's, what, that's part of iGym as well. You contact other teams and see if they've got certain skills that you can collaborate with. Yeah, I think the... Um... The learning new skills part is, is such a fundamentally important aspect of iGym as well because everyone brings in different um, skills that they have so everyone's better at certain things there's always someone that can teach you something and always someone that you can teach something to so it's such a good way to kind of put all your skills together learn something new and then just produce a really awesome project yeah well I mean building on that it's not just kind of learning skills from each other or from the internet you know we have to we get to collaborate with teams all around the world it is brilliant to be able to communicate with an international body of students like so many undergraduates who before we never would have met but each of us have such a passion for different projects we've got some really amazing projects lined up to see at the Jamboree we're presenting our own, which is going to be incredibly exciting in front of so many industry experts. And then of course, there are so many other interesting projects out there. There are people focusing on agricultural reclamation from pesticides. There are people focusing on how to increase our mining yields, how to clean our waterways. There are some completely fantastic projects out there. And one of the greatest benefits of iGEM, one of the best privileges is being able to go to meet all of these people who, as you collaborate, you make friends with and support each other at Jamboree when you can learn so much more. Yeah, the collaboration side of things is just, it's really, really good. You meet people from different countries and different ages and stuff and you all get together for this one thing you solely love and it's it's really great. Yeah, there's, there's such a solid diversity of projects yeah. so it's really exciting seeing what other people are working towards. Working on iGEM, I don't know about you guys, I've had a blast in, we've only been really going for this. This is our fourth week now, end of our fourth week, going into our fifth. And in those four weeks, we've all learned so much. I've been in a lab in boot camp week, which we had quite a while ago. I was fumbling about, whereas now I only fumble slightly. <laughs> so, the amount of times we messed up in the lab on boot camp week. But learning these skills is great. And I must admit, it's so much fun working with your peers on a project that you are guiding. It's a really exciting way to learn synthetic biology. Yeah, like you definitely do learn a lot throughout iGEM. At one point in the lab, we were making these plates of GFP, and GFP is a bit you add to the plasmid and it glows on the UV. But we had only like two cultures on the plate, so like two little bacteria dots were on the plate. And we were like, oh, we grew nothing. This is so bad. We gave up, threw it away. Then later on, we were like, wait, we might as well see if it glows. Let's have a look. So we put it under the UV. And it, it glowed, so we nearly lost our, <laughs> yeah, it's lost so funny. our project. Yeah, it's so funny to that we, <laughs> we threw yeah, away. You threw away so, so much. It was early in the morning, all right? Yeah, it was, it was too early. <laughs> Getting in the lab at like 8.30, in the morning. Oh, my God. Yeah, the, the funny thing is, like, I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty sure, like, none of us really solidly knew each other before iGEM either. <laughs> and now we've been kind of forced into, like, work yeah. on this project together throughout multiple weeks. And it's just, it's insane how 
quickly you get to to know people and the the social side of it is is so fun it's it's great as well considering at this university and in many others synthetic biology both at university school level and throughout it's rarely talked about even though it's such a vital part of the future and having the opportunity on iGEM to learn such an interesting skill set has opened such a diverse range of career paths for us all now and synthetic biology as we're attempting to do now should be taught to as many as you can so if any of you have the opportunity who are listening try and inform more people synthetic biology is one of the main industrial aspects of the future so let's push for education and let's push for a brighter future Absolutely. I mean, even as I said earlier, there's even slight caution around using E. coli in labs. There's such a stigma around synthetic biology and genetic engineering in general. Um, Because, of course, there are cases where things don't always go as planned. Um, But on the whole, it's got so many useful applications, as we will come to discuss. Um, And it, in its core, has the benefit of humanity. That's all we have time for today. As always, thanks to our wonderful guests, and please feel free to follow us on Instagram at exeter.igem2022, on YouTube at exeter.igem2022, or pop us an email on exeter.igem2022 at gmail.com. Please ask any questions via the social media or in the comments, and any other feedback is greatly appreciated. Bye for now!